All right. Well, let's just jump right into it. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the Washed Athlete Podcast. This is episode 12. And uh, we have a lot to talk about because we are recording this probably 10 minutes after the uh, national championship game for men's basketball. And uh, yeah, we have some very strong opinions in this chat that we have been trying to hold back and save for the podcast. So uh, yeah, let's just get right into that. So pack they're frauds. They UNC choked a 15 point lead going into halftime. That was one of the worst collapses I think I have ever seen in a sports game. Yeah, and it's not even the way like they it's not just just that they collapsed, but like the way they collapsed. I mean, not only was UNC 20 and zero or 21 and zero leading at halftime this season, but like the way they were just blowing out Kansas, like it. You could have convinced me they were up by 30. I mean, they were just like draining threes, stripping and blocking everything Kansas tried to do. And then they just got absolutely destroyed. Yeah, they just Kansas came out swinging in the second half. And I don't know like what adjustments that coach made at half, but UNC just could not stop them. Like, I don't know what was going on. It was the ghost of Coach K. It's the ghost of Coach K that made them collapse. I mean, Kansas came out and they were pressing everything really high. Like, they weren't giving space. So, like, if they got beaten on the perimeter, then there would have been a lot of open room up unless when the center was dropping back. But the problem was that, like, they would they would get past sometimes. Sometimes they wouldn't get past and it was just, like, clamps. But other times, like, the point guard, which is either Caleb Love or RJ Davis, they would get past. And they'd get to the middle of the floor and they'd either go for, like, a mid-range shot, a floater... Or they try to find someone on the outside, but like they were just getting stolen. The passes were bad. They're either chucking up bad shots. I think there's like four straight possessions where like they got stolen, blocked, like intercepted, ball went out of bounds. Like, and all it takes. I mean, I think Kansas went on like a eight nothing run in like two minutes or something. It was something really absurd where that gap that gap closed fast and hard, and then all of a sudden it was like, I mean, once you get to a five point basketball game, it takes literally like 10 seconds for the game to turn around so um yeah. once you get within five it's anyone's game and kansas yeah, got it really down there was. unc unc pushed back i mean i was a little nervous that once kansas got back into the game they were just gonna blow out unc because like that's how the half was going but then as soon as like the game got tied it plateaued for a little bit and it was a really competitive like back and forth game until i don't even know kansas got up six at one point and i like looked at the screen and i was like i don't know how kansas got up six like yeah because they, they just, just hit two having, threes like back yeah. to back and it was, was like, like oh, I guess Kansas is winning. <laughs> yeah, I took a long look at my phone, and I was like, wait, hold on, Kansas is out of six? I mean, they're, they're really out here now. I was like, okay. Yeah, that was that was a wild game. And Justin, what are your opinions on uh, R.J. Davis real quick? I mean, I like the guy. I think he's, he's got, got a lot of talent. He reminds me a lot of Cole Anthony, like the way they play their game. And Cole Anthony is a good NBA player right now, even in his rookie year. But he, my man sold. He had the ball in his hand. I, I'd love to see like usage percentages for like the first half of that half. but. Every time I looked at the offensive possession, RJ Davis was bringing the ball up the court. He was coming off the screen from Baycott. And then every single time he was turning the ball over, taking bad shots. And then even defensively, he looked lost for most of the half. Towards the end, he, was, he, even t- he took a gamble with like, I don't know, like three, four minutes left in the game. And it led to an open Kansas three. Now they missed it. But if, he had, if they had made that, that would have completely been on Davis gambling for the steal. And that game would have been over well before... Um, well before Caleb Love missed that three towards the end. So really, like, he just, 
He didn't have composure. He had the ball in his hands a lot. I mean, I don't. He's probably pretty young. I don't know what year he is in. But um, like I'm not like it's not like his NBA future is over, or if he decides to stay in college, like his college career is over. Like I genuinely like the guy, but like they just need to take him out of the game or get the ball out of his hands. He was just making every single bad decision, like just getting tortured on the outside by Kansas more experienced defenders, and it was very evident. I wasn't even like looking at R.J. Davis, and I was just every time I looked up, I was like, dude keeps getting burned every time, and yeah. Jacob, do you have a rebuttal? Um, I mean, I was just going to say, I don't see how you can like RJ Davis based off what you were saying when the plays were happening. You said that you weren't hating on the guy, bro. You were saying like he needs to get out of the game and just like, he did need to get out of the game. This is what happened. People talk about benching Ben Simmons all the time for the Sixers and you bench Ben Simmons because of the exact reason that he should be out of the game right now because he's not, not benefiting the team. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, like, it was just, I don't know what it was, but, like, it seemed like he had, like, such a good first half, and then, like, he just completely lost his composure. I think you were saying that earlier, where it's, like, he just, like, looked panicked. And, like, he was, like, I think I think I might have, like, even sent in the group chat where it was, like, he just, like, pulled up, like, for a three that was, like, well outside the arc. It's, like, and they were up by, like, eight at that point. It's, like, you don't yeah. need to shoot the three. Like, just calm down and get some points on the board. Like, get a good shot. Like, that's what you need. You don't need yeah. to just immediately transition, take the three, and then give it right back to Kansas. It's like, dude, you're up. You just need to get points. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, just calm down. Yeah, absolutely. I said, my first text about it was that I said, RJ Davis needs to get the ball out of his hands. He's holding for 25 seconds and forcing the issue. Spread the ball from the post with Baycott, and they will be good. Yeah. And then from there, I said, I went down more. I said, in all caps, get RJ Davis out of the game. He's <laughs> lost. <laughs> And then I said part 10 that R.J. Davis has lost. This was 10.54, and this, the first text was 10.46. So I gave him, like, 10 minutes of solid run. And I was like, he's like, he just looks lost. And that's okay if you, like, are lost. You need to be taken out of the game, take a breather, come back in, and do your thing. Like, there's no issue in that. But just don't be – like, if you're going to play that bad, you need to be out of the game. Because Caleb Love could have done what Art – and he, Caleb Love did not have a good game at all. So, like, neither of their backcourt guys showed up today, but – at the end of the day, you still needed to, like, someone needed to do something, and it, w- it wasn't happening. Well, hey, Puff did show out today. Puff, Puff Johnson did show out today. It was, it was cool to see. Um, so I love Puff because his name is funny. And I didn't realize it until, like, really recently, but he's a brother of Cam Johnson who plays for the Suns. And I'm a big, big, big Cam Johnson fan because when he was playing for UNC, well, first of all, he went to Pitt, and then he transferred to UNC. So Cam Johnson, who's in the NBA now, is like technically like a kind of a pit guy, which is kind of cool. Oh, but but he transferred from Pitt to UNC because <laughs> Pitt's basketball team's ass. Well, that's um, detail we don't need to worry about. Yeah. So um, Cam Johnson was going to the draft, and the Sixers really needed three point shooting, and I was really high at Cam Johnson when we had like the 15th pick or something, and I was like, it would be great if Cam Johnson fell to us. And a lot of projections had us like not even taking him because he was going to go later in the first round, and I was like, no, nah, well you can go up and draft him early. And I think the Phoenix Suns had like the seventh or eighth pick in the draft. And I'm already a Phoenix Suns fan. And I was like, I didn't know who they were going to draft. And they draft Cam Johnson. There's a very viral video of Kobe White figuring out after he was drafted that Cam Johnson was picked at like number eight. And Kobe White is losing his mind because he was so shocked that Cam Johnson had been selected so early. So I was like, as a Suns fan, I was still a little hesitant because I was like, 
uh, it's really early to pick Cam Johnson. They must have really seen something. And Cam Johnson has been fabulous for the Suns. He's he's got multiple games where he's dropping twenty plus points on like seven threes hey. and whatnot. Like yeah, Cam Johnson's a very 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 solid NBA player and has a lot of potential to be like the fourth guy, third guy on a team one day for a championship. Wow. I mean he's he really fills out the wing rotation for the Suns right now. And so when I found out that Puff played for them, I was like, man, this is great. Not only does he have an iconic name, just like Puff. Yeah, Puff Johnson like, is such a that's such a good name. Yeah, but his brother is someone who I wanted on the Sixers, didn't end up on the Sixers, ended up on my second favorite team, and he's been awesome in the NBA. Yeah. That's I mean, that analysis right there was like all time right there. Like I am very impressed, Justin, with that basketball analysis right there. Thank you, thank you. It is very sad that Cam Johnson didn't work out for Pitt. I need to get like a Cam Johnson Pitt jersey. Oh my god! Okay, and just like rock around and see who notices. I mean, besides Stephen Adams, he's the most popular athlete Dude, to come. Past I gotta ask my Pitt. manager if I can go into like the really, really old like Pitt gear like rooms that they have and see if I can find you <laughs> one of those jerseys because that would be so. It exists. Wow. Oh my god. That's actually for, insane. For audio listeners, Justin is holding up a picture of him in a pit uniform. So we do know the jersey exists. I'll look for that and see if I can find it. Oh, you know god. it's a throwback because of the navy blue on the jersey. Those are kind of hard was, jerseys. He was here, he was here for the rebrand. He was here for the rebrand, too. Oh, my yeah. God. Because Cam, Cam Johnson's pretty old. I think he was drafted. Like That was part of the concern with him. Why he didn't get drafted so soon. It was like because he was like a 23, not 23 probably, but 22 years old. Let's see, Cam Johnson's 26 now, and I think he's been in the league. He was drafted in 2019, it's 2022, so yeah, he's been in the league for a couple, three years. Yeah, he was at Pitt for three, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, and then oh. he transferred, and then he transferred to, how did he play six years? Whatever variation of this, it might have been like with the league. Well, you probably he probably redshirted, and then when you transfer, I think you have another year of eligibility. Yeah. I think something like that. But like Cam Johnson right now is averaging uh, twelve point seven points per game, and he's he's twelve four and one. And I don't have the shooting splits because this was short, but even like twelve points for a guy who's a fifth year in college. And if you, when you watch him play, you know he's more val- valuable than that. Yeah, but he's been Dang. a little injured. He's been injured recently, so we wish him well. Oh. That's our pit guy now. Now, well, yeah. now I have to get a jersey. Like yeah. now, I just have to get, get his jersey because I didn't realize he was a pit guy. No, and Puff and Cam look exactly alike. Like when, like I, when I first when I first saw Puff, I like was like that guy looks a lot like Cam Johnson. And then I saw his last name was Johnson, and I was like, this dude's Puff Johnson. That's so cool. I was like, shit. I was like, I looked it up, and I was like, that's Cam's brother. I was like, I knew it. Like he looks, yeah. he look, they look identical. Yeah, that's awesome. My God, yeah. I mean, well, out of the most wild like NCA tournament, I feel like we've had in a long time. Number one, Kansas wins. It's like you could have had that in as like, oh yeah, like here's an autofill. It's like yeah, Kansas wins, whatever. They're not thinking like in any way. It's like yeah, they'll probably get upset because number one's number one seeds almost like never win. It's always like a number two and number three, but. It's it, like out of all this crazy upsets, all like the storylines and everything, it's like, yeah, Kansas won. It's like, okay, it didn't really seem that crazy. Yeah. Yep. Every like, it's just every year a Cinderella team makes it through and they're like, this is going to be the year that this a really like year. low seed wins. And it doesn't happen often. It's usually a one, two, or a three seed. Mm-hmm. And even with one of the craziest tournaments we've had in a really long time, potentially ever, I don't know what the stats will say. Yeah. It comes down to. 
Kansas, the number one seed, probably I think they were the third favorite team to win the tournament, winning the whole thing. It just you can't beat like the favorite, and even it was very possible that it was going to be a Duke Kansas, yeah, matchup, and Duke Kansas would have been something that like you wouldn't have even been crazy for predicting. Exactly. If someone at the beginning of the tournament had said Duke Kansas in the finals, you would have been like, "That's yeah, of course that happened." Like that's not that shocking. Yeah, that would have been like you would have been made fun of. It's like, dude, that's not gonna happen, bro. There, someone's gonna have an upset. It's like, no. <laughs> so at least, at least we got uh, like another one of those like iconic, just like legendary March Madness teams. Like we got St. Peter's, who's gonna be up there with your UMECs, your Loyolas. So that's yep. that's nice. Like immortalized. Don't forget Oral Roberts. That you're sleeping on Oral. Don't Roberts. forget Oral course, Roberts. Of course, of course. Never God. get the OSU upset. <laughs> they are legendary for that one. <laughs> Just for the name, just for the name, God. That's I think there was some. Oh, I forget where it was. You know, I'm just gonna cite NFL memes just so we can do that. It probably is on there at some point. But it was like the um, the applicant rate for Oral Roberts, like after that game, jumped like three hundred percent from like the previous year or something like that. So many more people applied to that school just because they made it into the tournament and beat Ohio State. It was so funny. Yeah, and it's cool to see people get opportunities. I mean, St. Peter's coach goes to Seton Hall for next year. It's where he played um, basketball when he went to college, and like, it's a bigger job opportunity. Um, who knows what else it'll lead to? It's just cool to see these little schools get like the opportunity to go play. And I absolutely, people will apply to it because they'll be like, "That's a cool school," or just gets a name out and they look at it and they figure out it's a small school in a location they're interested in, and they've never heard of it before, and they apply. Up in Jersey, exactly. Shout out Jersey. <laughs> I got a question. Okay. Uh, other than, um, like, you can't count this uh, national championship game or the Villanova UNC one because those are two like basic. Um, name a national championship game um, that is your favorite. Oh, I couldn't. I don't have the memory for that. I don't. I don't. Know. My my uh, March Madness like historical knowledge is pretty limited. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like I well, can I say Baylor Houston? <laughs> Baylor Houston, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go. Cool. Last year's uh, NCAA tournament. There we yeah. Go. No, I don't. I don't honestly have like I watch college basketball every year. It's on, but like the actual depth of knowledge I have. Actually, I'll go ahead and say when Virginia. I don't remember who they played when they won, but it was cool because I had picked Virginia back to back. They got upset by the 16 seed. I took them again the next year. And they pulled it out, but I don't remember who they were playing. Someone. Was it like Michigan? Oh, I think it was. Was that the Jordan Poole team? Might have been. It might have been. I, I think... feel like I remember Michigan in the finals and they got smoked. Yeah, no, I remember that too. No, it was Texas Tech. Oh, was... wow. oh what? When did Texas Tech make the final? In 2019. Huh. I did not know that. Um, Wait, has been finals recent, like, uh, like in the past, like three to four years? Pitt, Michigan. Oh, <laughs> why would you ask Pitt? We can't I, even make the his, tournament. His audio cut off. I don't know. <laughs> last time, I think the last time Pitt made the tournament was twenty sixteen. I think. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, we were a first round exit. We were. We were in eighth grade. Yeah. Yikes. I remember we like got close a couple times and just like, of course, choked and just like lost the teams we should and then just fell out of the bracket. Most but no cigar. Sounds yeah. about pit. 
Yes, that's about it. Um, Michigan definitely had played in maybe a, a final, maybe a final, final four, but not a final because it, Kansas won this year. Obviously, no Baylor, Houston last year, Virginia, and what's what's its face? Um, Texas Tech. Texas Tech in 2019, Villanova won in 2018 against UNC. Oh, was it the, or that, no, the 2016 was the UNC one of those games. But I know they did play against Michigan, and then North Carolina won in 2017. I don't remember who they played. Oh, I have the brackets here. This is interesting. Whoa, this is a crazy year. What? Am I looking at the girls' bracket or the guys' bracket? Oregon and Kansas played. Oregon? Oh, wait, hold on. I, okay, I something messed up. Okay, I'm good now. I've recovered. It was Gonzaga, West Virginia, and then North Carolina Butler in the final four. And then it was a Gonzaga-North Carolina championship game. West Virginia was in the final four. Final four, yeah. Since when? <laughs> no, I, no, I was right. What? Actually, twenty eighteen was Michigan. Or yeah. Was not wait. Hold on. Where did Gonzaga won? When was? Yeah, that? they lost. They lost by twenty to. Villanova. No, okay, they were okay. They weren't in the final four. I think. Okay, no. this, they, they're doing this really confusing. The way the way this brackets laid out on my phone, I don't. I think Gonzaga maybe played. South Carolina. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. Oh, wait. Hold on. It was Oregon, North Carolina, Gonzaga. Okay, I got it now. Sorry. West Virginia was not in the final four. Ignore me. South, okay. Carolina, South Carolina was in the final four for the men, which is crazy because their women's team now is dominating because they, really the, yeah. they won the NCAA tournament, which is worth noting. Um, they've won. I think they won it t- not last year, but the year before that. Yeah. They've been well, like, pretty was, consistent. That was a COVID year, but they, yeah, the last time it was not COVID year. Um, not last year. The last the year before that was COVID, but then the year back, yes. they, they had won it again. So they've got, they've got like two in the last three tournaments, which is good for them. I mean, they're, they're historically really dominant. And of yeah. course, they play, they play UConn, which now is a big deal because South Carolina's kind of kicked UConn's ass the last couple of years in terms of standings, really big shift, because UConn used to dominate women's basketball. It was like every year for a while yeah. that UConn was having undefeated seasons. Yeah. And, I mean, even UConn now has the most popular player in, uh, you could argue the most pop- popular player in college basketball, honestly, in Paige Buckner's. She is an yeah. icon. Because um, most of those, most of the kids in uh, the men's go to the, go, if they're really good, they go to the league. So, like, I honestly can't tell you if Paolo Banchero is a bigger name than Paige. I don't think he. I don't think he is. No, I would say that she's a bigger name for sure. Yeah. Cause yeah, you. I think you hit the nail on the head with your analysis there. Justin just coming out swinging with the basketball analysis. I'm ready, bro. We should have plugged you into the UNC coach's headset. You were breaking down the game. You were like, "This is what he needs to do. They need to stop taking those shots. They need to work the screens." <laughs> like. Should have just plugged you right into his headset. Mm-hmm. Well, college basketball does make you appreciate. I'm not going to go on too much of a basketball rant here, but what it does make you appreciate is like the big men in the um, NBA are so skilled at what they do. You see these like hook shots. Um, I do not know the center. I do not know anyone on Kansas's team. I'm just going to be like straight up. Like I barely watched them play this tournament. They, what? They got Remy Martin. I know that. Yeah, but he was off the bench. Okay, they had McCormack. Uh, he was the center that I, he was a forward. I guess he's listed as a forward here, but he really is a center. Um, 
he was playing center today and like he has this like hook shot and so does Baycott. They have these both these hook shots that they do. But they look so aggressive and non finesse. When you guys when you watch guys like Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jogic, um, even like people like Bam Adebayo for like and even Rudy Gobert in some sense, like they have so much more flick on the ball where it's just so much more finesse. And you see these centers and they're like chucking it off the backboard, they're rushing it, they're shooting it off the glass, and it looks so like ugly. And then you just see these like fine, uh, like these polished NBA players, and it's just like the difference is huge. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I just was saying that I think, about, like, yeah, too, just about the skill, skill gap. gap is insane. Yeah. Like, like college, like college basketball, there's so many guys that just go for random threes and they just airball it. Like you don't really see that in the NBA. No, and it's I, I think it's more noticeable in the big men because any like the the three point line is closer in college, so like you can have uh, guards who just pull up from three and it's a little bit closer and they can just like drill it and that looks like the nba kind of style of play but when you have these big guys who are like in college who are just like just big human beings and it's hard to stop them versus like in the nba uh everyone's big you actually need to have talent to get around them and you can really see the difference and that's why it's so hard that's why it takes big men like time in the league no big man comes in his first year and just like terrorizes people because like you had Joel Embiid who's like seven feet tall, two hundred eighty pounds, who just is gonna like ram his butt into you like every single night and then just put you on the ground. So like you can't prepare for that. Exactly, and even like um, what Giannis like when he first came into the league, like it took him a while to like really <laughs> become like who he was because he came in, he was really tall but super skinny and didn't basically didn't really like know how to play basketball because he was just big. But then like mm-hmm. over time, he slowly but surely was able to like, it was like crafting like the marble statue, just like etching away a little bit at a time. And now he's insanely good at basketball. It's absurd. Yeah, it's something as simple as just like the touch around the rim that you need to get used to. Like mm-hmm. when you go to the rim, people kind of like hit it, throw it hard off the backboard and like, even just having the simple finger roll or like the soft touch around the rim so that ball doesn't like slam off the backboard or off the rim is so huge. I mean, you see guys like Kyrie Irving who have mastered it where like every time they're around the rim, it's a finger roll, it's a flick, oh. it's an up and under. It's just like the way the ball like just softly floats in there. Like I try to do that in like backyard and it's like air ball or yeah. like I, I chuck it off the backboard or like a brute force. Like my backboard at home, since it's like a pop-up net, like we'll give. So if I throw the ball at it, the net, the, the thing will kind of move back with it a little bit so you can get away with like hitting the ball a lot harder off the backboard so yeah. now the kid and my brother when i was old I'm, I'm a little older than him and when like you're younger like you grow up like a little faster so i was at one point like significantly taller and bigger than him and i would just like take a beeline to like the <laughs> top of the key and just like jump and like chuck it off the backboard like right inside the square and it would just bang yeah. off the backboard right in but if you tried to do that at like the professional level that banging off the backboard and flying down the other side of the court (laughs) exactly oh my god yeah i mean you were saying that before i honestly think Kyrie might have some of the best handles i've ever seen in my life some of the stuff that he's able to do is absurd like just out of this world because it's like like just like you're saying it's like you know like in backyard basketball it's like you try and do some of this stuff and like you end up just throwing the ball just straight up in the air and it's like but how does it curve and then like bank off the backboard, like hit the front of the rim and then roll back? It's like how often, like how, like how many times do you have to practice that just to get like that down and then to get that off, like in a game against a dude that's like seven foot one? Like it's ridiculous. 
Yeah. No, Kyrie's finishing moves at the rim are just absolutely insane. Like, he's definitely got some skills. I mean, I would say the conversation would be between him and Allen Iverson, but then, like, when you just take into consideration how, like, beautiful his finishing ability, like, the, um, like, you know, how he can lay the basketball in so well, like, it's just absurd. I think that's, like, that sets him apart from uh, Allen Iverson, at least from the Allen Iverson up. Like t- uh, games and like highlights I've watched, or not games, but highlights and you know other stuff I've watched. He is yeah. a talented dude. And my friend, one of my friends from home, he made a great analogy about um, Kyrie. He said that Kyrie and Neymar are like the two same players because the thing with Neymar was um, like he's one of the most like technical, like flashiest players out there. And he was on the same team as Messi. Kyrie was on the same team as LeBron. They both want to make a name for themselves they leave and it doesn't quite go their way so like it, it was a cool analogy and like talking about soccer the world cup draw yes. was just this past week and we are in that world cup year and the u.s is back like it's it's, it's, back. it's, it's back exciting better time. than ever let's go. let's go it is exciting times like the u.s is an interesting group because First of all, being in Eng- like being in England's group is very interesting. Like a lot of people wanted to see that. I personally wanted to see that. It's going to be a cool matchup because both teams have a lot of young guys that are just hungry and very talented guys. All play in Europe. I mean, most of the English guys play in the Premier League. We got some Americans in the Premier League. It's going to be a very good matchup. I do have like rapid fire predictions I made for each group, and so okay. I'm just going to run through that right now and, and uh, just to have like historically to look back on and just see how wrong or right I was. So I'm going to go ahead and shoot. So, okay. So for group A, we have Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands. I'm saying that Netherlands should take this group with ease because they're definitely the the strongest team in this group. And then Netherlands by by far, by far. That's a, that's a cake group. I wouldn't say cake. I mean, on paper, yes, because the thing about the other teams, like Qatar is definitely the weakest team on paper in that group, but they their team is interesting because they I saw them play against El Salvador, which is my team, of course, and they those, these guys are pretty good because they've been like, I did research on their team, and they're like, they've been work building this team for years. Like most of their players are actually foreign guys from like Africa. They just like recruited and uh, changed their nationality to Qatari, and like they're good. Like it's a Qatari? whole bunch of guys. Is that the actual term? Qatari, I think it is. Oh. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's Qatari. And no, they're, they're Qatari good. sounds right. Yeah, because they're they're a good unit. But I think compared to Ecuador and Senegal, that could go either way for second place. I will go with Ecuador because they looked very good in South American qualifying because they finished above Colombia, Uruguay, uh, Chile, Peru, which is very good. Like they were third behind Argentina, and Brazil, so that's really good. So I'm going with. Netherlands first, Ecuador second, and that's for Group A. Group B, we got England, Iran, the United States, and we have a European playoff spot to be decided between Wales and the winner of Scotland, Ukraine. And out of those teams, the playoff spot, I think Wales should take it. I think that they have a stronger team than the other two. So let's assume, for this sake, Wales make it. I'm still going to go England first. They have one of the best teams in the world there, I believe in based on odds, the third or fourth favorite to win the whole thing. So they should win that group. And I'm taking, 
the U.S. second. And England also, I do know for a fact, they have the most expensive squad in the entire World Cup. So Jesus. Yeah, like, those guys are worth a lot of money. So I can't I'm wait for them England to choke in the finals again. Yeah, because they have the whole it's coming home thing, football's mm-hmm. coming home, and... Nah. I always lose, every time. Yeah. Okay, Anders, what do you... Yeah. Who do you think the top five teams are favored to win the World Cup? I have the, I have the odds in front of me. Yeah, so I will shoot that before I continue this. Yeah, so first, I'm going to go Brazil. I think yes, that... They, they, are the, they are the odds on favorite. Yes, because they have such an insane team. They are... Like player for player, I think they're the best team in the world. They, I mean, they are. Um, they like they are so talented. They went undefeated in South American qualifying, which is absolutely unreal. So Brazil definitely a favorite. After them, I'm going France. Previous champions, they have insane depth. Um, they have Mbappe. Like <laughs> their team is actually crazy. So I'm going Brazil one, France two. Um, that France team that France team that won was it the Olympics? Or well, I think it was the last World Cup. Did they, France win the last World Cup? Yes. Yes. So France won yeah, the last that, World Cup. That, and Brazil that team won was stacked. World. That team was stacked. Yeah. It was absurd oh, yeah. watching them play soccer. It was crazy. Yeah. They might I, have the best depth. Actually, kind of fun fact. I was actually in Switzerland at the time, and I was in a French-speaking town. So we were actually because uh, we were at like a, one of like the, I guess the bars there because the, surprisingly the drinking age there is sixteen. So they let us into the bars, and we were watching the World Cup in a bar there, and everyone there was rooting for France. It was absolutely electric. Because, like, we walked in, and this woman just comes up to us with, like, like I guess we were like, like what is going on? And she has, like, face paint, and, like, just draws it on us, and it's, like, the French flag. <laughs> what? What? What country are we in? That's awesome. That's a good story. Yeah. France, Switzerland, this past Euro had one of the best games of soccer I've ever seen. Like, really? France was heavily favored to win that game, and Switzerland ended up winning that in penalties. Like, France was up, I believe, 3 1 at one point. Switzerland tied it 3 3, like, at like the 90th minute, and then kept them at bay um, in overtime, and then ended up winning in pens. So that was a crazy upset. One of the best games I've ever seen, for sure. For Switzerland. Yeah. They, they, Switzerland are good. But, um, okay, so I said Brazil, France. Um, after France, I would have to go England just cause like, it's hard to argue the amount of talent they have. Like their players are good. They're young, but they are great players. They're fun to watch. I don't root for England, but they are a very fun team to watch. So that's, that's my top three right there. And then I'll just rapid fire the next two to be probably gonna have to go Spain than Germany. Honestly, that is the correct order. Argentina is tied <laughs> with Germany for fifth place. Okay, that, that's that's yeah, that's fine. That's fair. Argentina are very good this this time around. Bet, way better than they were last World Cup, where they did not have a good coach and they just were very lackluster team. So, yeah. What's interesting about Brazil is Brazil's kind of been off the scene, I think, a little bit in World Cups, recent World Cups. Like they have not been a team that like has been at the top of like contention. It's usually fallen like within France, England, Spain, Germany has been really good in the past. Um, now you haven't really seen Brazil up there a lot, and it's interesting that they're like the favorites to win. Yeah, Brazil yeah. literally hasn't been good since they got destroyed by Germany. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I was talking about that with my dad recently. Um, the Western Hemisphere of soccer has been kind of lacking compared to uh, Europe. Just yeah, Europe, just Europe alone, because Europe has been in an era of dominance. Like there has not been a non-European World Cup winner. Well, I mean, there's only been winners from South America and Europe, but 
beer. There's not been a South American winner since 2002. So 2006, Italy, 2010, Spain, 2014, Brazil, and then, or not Brazil, whoa, that was in Brazil, uh, Germany, and then 2018 was France. So it's wow. just been European dominance. And I think a big factor in that is that historically, Latin American teams is more so just uh, play nice, just play technically, do what you do best, not as much tactics, whereas European um, soccer historically has just been a big tactical game. And honestly, the, with the modern game today, tactics is what does it all. Like, tactics and just physicality. Like, the Europeans, the teams that usually win are, are very fit. Like, they go 90 minutes, no problem. They're huge. Like, that's that's what it is. Like, tactics for the most part, honestly, too. It's it's tactics. That That's the whole thing. That's why there's been such a European, been such a European dominance within the past years. When you refer to tactics in soccer, like what do you mean for someone that's not? Yeah. Into- okay, so I guess just the way to approach games in general. So, for example, um, you'll have teams that park the bus, like Belgium uh, against Brazil last year. They Brazil were favorites also to win last World Cup, and they faced Belgium in the quarterfinals. And Belgium, of course, have a very good team, but Brazil dominated that game they had so much more possession they kept they were just controlling the game but belgium's tactic was park the bus which is just like defend the whole time have most guys just behind the ball and just play the counterattack. and so all it took what all it took for belgium was two counterattacks. they got two goals kept brazil at bay they just kept defending 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 brazil did get one goal because all they were doing was attacking the whole game but they couldn't break through that belgian defense for that whole time and that's a one for Belgium. Like the the park the bus counterattack is one of the most annoying things to watch, but one of the best tactics in the game. Like recently, Atletico Madrid did that against Man U, and they knocked him out of the Champions League. So that that's like an example of tactics. Like that's like Belgium. That's how they bested Brazil last World Cup. Yeah, and it's going off of what like Andres was saying. Like when you're in practice, when we were in practice a lot through like high school years in soccer, like they'd have the offense start at like the fifty, and the defense would be sitting there. And the goal of the offense was to, like, score. And it's really hard if you're an offense going into an already set defense to get past them. Like, they can, they can set up their formations, they can keep their coverages, and they can, like, keep their, like, where they need to rotate and whatnot. And it's very hard to attack that. So if you're just a, a team that can just set up and keep the game in front of you, you're fine. Um, like, keep your team compact. But once you start getting spread out all over the place, that's when a through ball goes through. Like you just when you watch tactically savvy teams, you don't see a through ball go through the defense and have a one on one with the keeper. Like it just doesn't happen. It usually takes like a shot from the outside or a stupid penalty or or whatnot. So um yeah, tactics play a big role into it. And if you have a deep team like kinda like France does, you can even like completely like decide who to play and who not to play based on the other teams. I mean, the US women's team is a prime example of this. They will change two to three of their starters just depending on or at least they did in the last couple years. Just depending on who else like is out there, play who el- who are they playing against? Because maybe it's valuable to have someone who has a lot of endurance on the outside at midfield, or it's better to have someone with a lot of speed to kill up top. Yeah, tactics are such a big part of the game. And that was only one example of many different things, like formation, like just exactly playing who you want to play depending on the opponent. Like, there's it's such a big part of the game, and that's what wins you the most coveted trophy of them all. But um. I'll just rapid fire the rest of my predictions. So Group C, you have Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland. Poland, Mexico, very interchangeable at second place. But I do think Mexico will make it out the group, but only to crash out next round like they always do. 
and Argentina. Saudi Arabia has zero chance. Yeah, <laughs> Saudi Arabia can just pack it in. <laughs> it's, it's it's rough. It's rough for them for sure. And then Group D is interesting because you have France, Denmark, Tunisia, and then a intercontinental playoff between Peru and what should be Australia. And it's interesting because last World Cup there was a group between France, Denmark, Peru, and Australia. And this time it's going to be France, Denmark again, and then one of Peru or Australia, which I do think it will be Peru. And I think that France and Denmark are the favorites, but I'm going to go France and Peru to make it out of that group. And then Group E, Spain, Germany, Japan, and another intercontinental playoff between Costa Rica and New Zealand. Zealand? I think Costa yes, I think Costa Rica will make it, but I think Spain and Germany will make it out of the group as Spain won Germany too. But do not sleep on Japan. I'm telling you, they have a great team. Last World Cup, they were up two nothing against Belgium for the longest time. Go, I think going in half they were up two nothing. Only to lose to like three counter counterattack goals where Belgium won it, and yeah, it was that was such a sad like game for for the Japanese. But they had such a great game. They 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 have they have a fun game to like. They're just fun to watch. They the Japanese Japanese soccer's fun. Like they have a, they have a, an electric team. So don't sleep on them. They could make it out of the group. I don't think they will, but. Just a, it's just such a tough you know. group draw for them. Like if they were in like the Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands group, this is a whole different story. But they in Germany are like top five in favorites to win the whole thing. It's like that's a brutal draw to get for a group. How do they determine like what uh, group you're in? Like yeah, so there's four pots, and they have the FIFA World Rankings, and so based off where your ranking is, they'll put you in a pot and. You can only draw people outside of your pot. So, like the pot one, for example, I don't remember it exactly what it was, but teams like Brazil were in it, Netherlands, England, Argentina, France, Portugal, Belgium, and I think Spain were all in pot one. So they can't be in the same group. And then there's another constraint, which is you can't be in the same group as someone from your continent unless it, you're from Europe, where you can have one other at most, because they have the most teams in the World Cup. So that that's how they determine the groups. So do they, they don't want to have like, uh, I guess the best teams all in the same group so that one of the country or countries doesn't make it. So then is it, how much of it is a money thing? Um, like, I mean, like, like money, uh, wait, what do you mean? They, like, like I'm assuming that they don't want to have like, let's say Brazil, Spain and England in the same group. Cause how, you can only have two people go f- leave from your group, right? Yeah. So then one of those teams won't, or one of the countries won't leave. I mean, that's probably not going to be good in terms of viewership because, well, I guess the best in terms of viewership because the an entire fan base is leaving and it's such a, it's a great team or a great country in terms of soccer. And then, um, I guess like, does that, like, does that like true at all? Or am I just like, well, uh, that's, I think that's definitely like an ulterior motive, but I mean, it, it's it's all based off your FIFA ranking, so it's all based off just your skill, your record, and all that. I mean, I think simply you just want the best teams to be in the, the playoff, like the bracket. I, I mean, so it's I guess just, some of it's, it's just seeding. But... All of it is like yeah. in actuality, it's just seeding. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that's Spain Germany group. That, that's a rough one. Costa Rica. You made out of the group of the death of group of death last time, but I don't think this time you will be making it out if you qualify anyways. So 
Group F, I would say, is my group of death. This is a tough one because you have Belgium, of course, the favorite of the group, but Croatia, last time's World Cup finalists. Canada, who have been on fire form. Like, they finished in first place of the North American qualifying, um, finishing above the North American Kings, Mexico and the U.S., which nobody would have expected. Canada have been very good. And then Morocco just have a solid team. But the thing about Belgium is, while they're definitely the best team on paper in that group, their golden generation that they're supposed to have now is getting older. Like, they were supposed to win trophies, and they haven't won anything yet. And they're getting old. Croatia is obviously Croatia. They finished their World Cup finalists last time around. Um, Canada, like I said, insane form. Uh, Morocco is just, they're a solid team. Like, African teams are solid. They are, like, they can take points from you. They can always get a result. Like, they can upset. They're, they're just, they're fun. They, like, African soccer, also very fun. But, uh, like, I, I gotta go Belgium and Croatia, one and two. I can, like, I will say, Canada, they can definitely make it out of this group, 100%. Like, I would not be, I wouldn't be surprised if Morocco did, but, I'm going to have to go with the two favorites right off the bat, Belgium and Croatia, one and two. And then Group G, another interesting one from, like, last World Cup is Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland. We're all in the same group last time with Costa Rica being the fourth team. Um, and Cameroon, they are a great team. They didn't make it last time around, but they made it to the World Cup in Brazil. Um, they didn't make it out of the group, but they are always... Like I said, these African teams are very good. I wouldn't be surprised if they make it out of the group. I wouldn't be surprised if Serbia make it out of the group. But I'm going Brazil, Switzerland, one and two. And now we're at the last group, which is you could have a shout for being another group of death because it's a tough one. Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. I mean, this is this is a, this is also a very good group because Uruguay and Portugal, they played last World Cup in the round of 16. Uruguay eliminated them, but Portugal are the favorites of this group. So that's that's going to be a good matchup for sure. Uruguay, they have Suarez, they have Cavani, they have a great team. Portugal have one of the greatest players of all time in Ronaldo. They have so many young talents. They have Bruno who's on Man U, and he's been t- tearing it up recent years. It's it's tough. And then you have Ghana and South Korea, and South Korea is like another team that just they upset last World Cup. They beat Germany and and knocked them out of the World Cup. So. Like Germany, who were who were the champs last time? So, do not sleep on South Korea. And then this is my favorite thing: Ghana, Uruguay. Right in 2010 World Cup quarterfinals, the score is one-one. Ghana have a header. It's on the goal, like it's going in, 100%. Suarez swats the ball off the line. He's a striker. He gets a red card. Um, the ball is going in. He gets sent off. Ghana have a penalty. Like, Suarez is crying because he got sent off, but he's just an asshole for that. He's getting sent <laughs> off. Like, he, he, like it's just a disgrace to the game. He does that. He's crying. He turns around, watches the penalty, starts celebrating because um, the Ghanaian player, Asamo John, he hits the crossbar, and he celebrates off into the locker room. Then Ghana and Uruguay go all the way to penalties. Uruguay win it, breaking Ghanaian hearts. And Ghana was playing for all of Africa at that point. The World Cup was in South Africa. They were the last African team left. Could have made history going in the semis. Knocked out because of that handball when they had they rightfully had that win. That was so sad. So now we're going to see uh, a very heated game in Ghana-Uruguay. So that's going to be interesting. And as so- much... 
Does yeah. Suarez have a target on his back? Yes. He, most, he is one of the uh, most controversial players of all time. He's, I will say... Did he bite someone? Three people. <laughs> Wait, there's <laughs> more than one? Yes, 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 yes. He is one of the most controversial players of all time. I will say, he's probably the best striker I've ever watched play, and he's in the debate for being the best striker of all time. But he is so controversial. I do not like him as a person. As a player, he's just a joy to watch. But, like, he's bitten three people. He did that against Ghana. I'm, he's, had, he's had, like, racial, like, commentaries. So he's he is so controversial. I hate him as a person. <laughs> he's, he's a psychopath. But he's a great player. It's, it's, no, I don't like him. But as much, ideally, I would love for Ghana and South Korea to make it out of this group as one and two. But I do think it will be Portugal and Uruguay because their teams are just way too strong. So that wraps up who I think will make it out of each group in this World Cup. And, I, and for my winner, I said it last time around, they didn't do it, but I'm going to have to go with Brazil. Insert applause, Andres. That was absolutely beautiful. I love that analysis. I have absolutely no idea what's going on in soccer. All I know is that Pulisic had a hat trick recently, and I was yeah, very yeah. happy about that. That's all I know. This World Cup, you have to. It's like every oh, no, yeah. you got it. Always yeah. watch World Cup. Yeah, always, always watch World I Cup. I do always watch the World Cup. I usually never know what's going on, but I have started to kind of understand soccer. Yes, so. I will, and I will fill you guys in on yes. any questions you have, and we will still uh, we will do that extra cycle one day. One, one day, day we'll do that one extra cycle. One but day. Yes. And then 2026, yes. Oh, I was saying, what I think is very interesting about this Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea group is you're talking about tactics of the European countries. Well, there are none in that group. So a team like Portugal who doesn't really, who might not have the best tactics does not need to go up against a tactical powerhouse in like in England or Spain yes. or whatnot. Yes, in Portugal what? in Europe. Goes it, okay, it is. Yeah, it, yeah, it is in Europe. I, I... Spain, I don't know. Spain, <laughs> yeah, it, it, is, it is in Europe, but like the way in Portugal is just in like the little corner. I don't associate it with the greater Europe. European champions in twenty sixteen. Oh yeah. my god! So they are part. Of, they are part of Europe. So you can just nix everything I just said. Um, <laughs> I mean, Iberia is close to Africa, but it's still Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh it'll, it'll be a, it'll be a good group also because. Asian, like every country now with the modern game, like they're having tactics. But historically, I was talking about historically, the Europeans yeah, yeah. are known as the tactic powerhouses. But yeah, it's, I'm I'm excited. And then 2026, because both my parents' countries, El Salvador and Colombia, failed to qualify for this one. I'm thinking about 2026 already, <laughs> hoping they qualify for that. Which already they will. looking past. Yeah. Already on to the next. I mean, I. I think both of them will, and that'll be fun. I just got to hope that they won't be in the same group, which will be really sad, because it's going to be instead of 32 teams, 48 teams this time. So I think that, Whoa. yeah, they have a very good chance to qualify, both of them, and I'm really looking forward to that. But also, because m many of the games will be played in the U.S., so I plan on going to mm. at least one. If El Salvador and Columbia qualify, I'm going to try to go. I will definitely go to all the El Salvador games, and then whatever, honestly, if I can – Get some good, get some money saved up. Try to go to the games like MetLife or whatever, because MetLife will be one of the venues. So that will be very fun. I think. I think, I think Lincoln Financial. Think Lincoln Financials also. They also yes. have games there. Oh, they those are poor one of the people venues. going to Philly. They have no idea. <laughs> I will say I've been I've been to the Link for uh, two times for soccer games, and it was it was fun. I liked it. I really liked the Link. I liked the whole Philly 
sports complex. I like how you got you guys got the uh, three stadiums by each other. I think that's really cool. Like New York, we don't have that. It's it's everywhere. It's scattered. Well, first, of all, first of all, first of all, it's in New Jersey. Let's get that clear. <laughs> all of the stadiums are in New Jersey, except for like the actual like arenas for hockey and yeah, basketball. Yeah, yeah, MSG. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you have like the Meadowlands, then you have like Midtown, then you have the Bronx. So like it's it's, yeah. it's scattered everywhere. Like New York is very like it's just everywhere. Whereas Philly, yeah. you guys got your three main stadiums right by each other. I think that's awesome. Like I love that. So yeah, that'll the link will be it'll be a cool venue. Um, I think MetLife was the favorite or like the most highly speculated to be like to host the World Cup final. But mm-hmm. if I'm talking. Like personally speaking, I think the best place would be where they held it in '94 in the Rose Bowl. I think that would be the best venue for it. Oh my god, that would be electric! Yeah, such an old, like, but also just beautiful stadium. Such a great, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's the perfect place. They did it in '94. I mean, it's, it's. I think it's. I think it's America's stadium. Like, I think that's where you should host a World Cup final. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Because like, even when um when like the Rams were moving to LA when they had like some of those like NFL games like in uh, that stadium, it was so cool. Cause it's like that, just that huge bowl and you just have the entire crowd. It literally looks like it, like a, like one of those like Roman, like Coliseum, like arenas. Yeah. Like it's so cool. All right. Oh, I'm going to list off. So the host cities for the candidate host cities right now are Atlanta Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, Nashville, New York, New Jersey, Orlando, Philly, San Francisco, Seattle, and D.C. Wait, did they just list New Jersey as a city? No, 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 it's New York slash New Jersey. Yeah, it's New York slash New Jersey. Oh, okay. okay, It's MetLife. It's MetLife. It's MetLife. Okay, yeah, I see that. They go together. Uh, Andres, it does look like the World Cup final in 2026 is MetLife. Is it? That's what I'm getting. That is that is what I'm getting from Google, but uh, I don't know if it's confirmed. Yeah, I mean, the thing about MetLife is I was actually there for the Copa America final in 2016. Um, it was, I mean, it's it's like it's a big stadium for sure. Um, it's not the prettiest of stadiums, I will Thanks. say. MetLife, um, it's a big stadium. Uh, I saw Messi miss a penalty there. It was very sad. It was, but it was it was a fun time for sure. Like tailgating at MetLife is very fun. You have just the oh. huge parking lot. Like it's the parking lot is massive, so like I have the like Meadowlands Fest there. Like I mean, besides the stadium itself, I think it's a cool place because um, you have so much space, so you could set up like a whole festival for the World Cup final. So that's cool. But like I said earlier, if you're if it's if you're choosing a stadium, it's got to be the Rose Bowl. Yeah, like that. It's just so much prettier. It really is because like when you get those like aerial shots of the Rose Bowl, like that would be that would be so good. Like that would be so good. But meanwhile, it's like you just get those like aerial shots of MetLife, and it's literally just a giant parking lot. It's like, oh, nice. It's like, oh yeah, there's the highway. It's like, oh, you can like kind of see New York City like at the corner. It's like they yeah. do, but like with those shots, like for the Cobra America, I remember I was watching like replays. They always like angle it so that you see New York City in the background, and they try to like crop out as much of the parking lot as possible. So it's just, exactly like, in the city. It's like, yo, look at this great view of New York City. It's like, yeah, you kind of get like a hazy skyline, but let's not forget, it is New Jersey at its finest. It is all highway, all parking lot. It is all about efficiency. It's not about looks. And respectfully to like the area, they always show like the New York skyline and stuff. 
MetLife is like, I mean, it's obviously close to the city, but from my understanding, it's not like it's right. It's not by. that close. No, it yeah, really it's not. Isn't. Yeah, it's not like it's right. Like it's not like it's uh, like right across like the river or anything. Like you still gotta like drive. It's still and, like a 10, 15 minute drive to get to the city alone. Like right now, it's I'm, really. Like, right now, I'm getting it. Like if you just want to go into like uh, like into um, like right to the World Trade Center area, mm-hmm. it's gonna take you a twenty five minute drive. Yeah, because it's like For once how- you get. Exactly. It's like once you get into the city, then you hit city traffic, and it's like that's a whole different animal right there. But even if you cross Lincoln Tunnel to get into New York, it's still going to take you like fifteen or so minutes. Exactly. In actuality, it's going to be like forty minutes to an hour because you have not only the city traffic, but you have turnpike traffic, and then just getting out of like that middle area is just chaos. So you have all those factors. Like it's, the traffic is ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. I've had to make that drive a lot because actually I took my EMT class in the hospital that is across the river from MetLife. And I will say, for all of those foreign drivers, I pray to God you get Ubers and get into those Jersey Ubers because I pray for any foreign person that has to try and drive through New Jersey. Like, that will be such a mess, and that will be so scary. Like, please, just get an Uber. Get one of those insane Jersey drivers behind the wheel. They will figure it out. They will get you there safe. Right? Do not try and drive with us. It's not going to work. They will get you there alive. They will get you there alive. Not safe, but alive. <laughs> yeah, not safe, alive. That's, that's what matters. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, I'll focus on 2022 first, I guess. Uh, sorry, yeah, we got to focus on the World Cup but, that's actually coming up. As much as I care about 2026 more, but focus on 2022. <laughs> oh my god, 2026 will be hype. It'll be very. Hype. Oh yeah, I can't wait. Jimmy, that's four years away. We're gonna be, dude. We're gonna be 24. Yeah, we will be old. We will be out in the world, bro. I'll be still in school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still be uh, so they're probably still, still gonna be in school, like in yeah. in like some sort of school, like yeah. whether it, like doesn't matter where it is, just somewhere. Yeah, fair, fair. Out of undergrad, out of undergrad. Out of undergrad. There we go. There we go. We'll take we'll take the small win there. <laughs> we'll take a small win at some point. Yeah. Oh my god, that's wild. That's really four years, wild. Been waiting four years. Four years. Damn, that's that sucks, Andres. Though, because you were waiting for this World Cup, and neither of those teams got in. That's so bad. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I do root for Latin America to bring it, like bring it home. Yeah, because it's been yeah, like yeah. long. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I feel like at that point, like I'm kind of tired of seeing European countries just constantly yeah. win it. It's like I really don't care. Like it's like, oh, France won it. Uh, like this person won it. Well, I... well don't worry. I'm based on my logic. If Portugal wins, <laughs> there we go. There we go. If Portugal wins, it's not Europe, so it's fine. <laughs> According to Justin. According to me. According to Justin. Yeah, that's our that's our quality source of the day is Justin's geography tips. Justin's exactly. I, I I think if we want to make a hard pivot real quick, away okay. from a little bit of sports yes. talk, we can discuss. Oh uh, right, yeah, yeah. We won't have time. To- we won't have time for the one topic, but we can discuss the Avatar tier list, ah, Avatar's yes, character yes, tier yes, list, yes, which yes. is going to come out 
on Tuesday. So if you were listening when this podcast comes out, it is going to be Friday. And the Tuesday beforehand, we will have recently dropped our Avatar character tier list rankings. And while not much controversy at the top, Jacob has still felt the need to be personally offended by certain individuals' tier lists. So, Jacob, I want to hear your thoughts on the tier list as a whole, what problems you kind of got, and where's your head at with this whole thing? I wouldn't say personally offended, but, like, I, th- I was really assuming, okay, you know, we have never come to, you know, terms of having the same S tier, you know. He's bad. In one tier list where we've all had the same S tier. And I was thinking, you know, Avatar, it might just be it, you know. And <laughs> almost, I was wrong because the one person who you probably would think would try to be controversial or try to say something against the grain did. He put Toph above Aang when Aang, it, Aang, first of all, is just the main character. Aang has more um, screen time. Um, Aang goes through more character development. Aang has to, like, the f- entire show is focused around Aang, and Aang is a well well-written, written character. You do have the other two characters, you know, correct? It should be um, Zuko and Uncle Iroh. Like, that's just, those are two blocks. But I, I don't understand the how in the world you, like, have Toph above Aang. I feel like that's just an incorrect take. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, Justin, Andres, and Peter, you guys all do agree with me. Yeah, and 100%. Like, like, I don't think it's even, like, up for debate to have t- anybody in the top three aside from, like, those three. So, Raj, what do you have to say for yourself? Oh, here we go. I knew I was going to get grilled for this. Uh, basically, I mean, why I put Toph above Aang, I mean, they're not, like, for me, they're interchangeable, but what put Toph over Aang for me was, I mean, Toph made her own bending style, like, literally reinvented it. You can say in Korra, she also did kind of start the Industrial Revolution with steep metal bending. I don't know. We didn't really set, like, I mean, we okay. didn't really set... No. We okay. don't, we're not... No, no, no. no. Uh, that's what I'm trying not, to say. We never, Korra is not included at I, all. I hold up. No one set any rules for anything about this tier list. It was just ranked characters. So I ranked them based off both the shows I watched too. That's horseshit. No, we were ranking Avatar: The Last Airbender characters. All right. What are they? I just think Top's a better character. Top was in Legend of Korra for literally like five to ten minutes, bro. Okay, but her legacy still. Held on, she developed what? a betting Oh my Literally, god, Cora, okay. If you're really gonna make that argument, Cora lost all of her bending powers except for air bending. And the only reason why she got them back is because Aang came down and restored her bending. Without that, there wouldn't have been an avatar because okay. Amon took away the bending powers. So, what do you have to say to that? Aang's like legacy isn't as evident as Cora's. Aang has a statue of him built. In the city where the even though that's probably one of the last things he would ever want, but he still does have it. Yeah. <laughs> I, st- I oh my god, Toph, I think Toph is better. I stand by it. I don't even I don't even want to give reasoning anymore because I no know no no, no. Really I want to oh, go my. back to your reasoning of but she says funny jokes. Her blind what? jokes are funny. I, yeah, no shit, they're funny. Yeah, like that's, that's just like make her a better character. She stays the same the whole time. Like, it's cool. She made her own, like, bending style for sure. Like, that's cool, whatever. But she doesn't change at all as a character. She just, like, she just says jokes from start to finish. She's a simple, she's oh, a simple okay. character. 
character. Okay, I was already kind of on Raj's side of like not that that Toph is a better character, but like I don't get the personal offense that Jacob has. With I did this. not have personal offense to this. You I are so mad. I can see you boiling. I do not have any personal offense to this. I just think it's a bad take. <laughs> so you are offended. <laughs> no, I'm not offended. Jacob is offended. Oh just, what were you gonna say? So I'm not. I wasn't really like that taken it back by it. I was like, okay, cool, I don't agree, but not a big issue. But, like, they have the whole, like, Toph changes a ton throughout yeah. the story. Like, the fact that, like, that. it's like, the fact that she does, like, she does not change is just not true. Like, she when they have the Tales of, um, the Tales of Amashu's oh, episode going on, she actually is willing to, like, open up and, like, have emotion with Katara, and she starts not wanting to join t- Team Avatar, and hating her parents and resenting them to actually like like showing that she like loved them and whatnot so like this idea that like Toph like is a stagnant character like no and part of it is her like she's an earthbender she's solid she's rigid she's defensive like that's part of like her personality and how she had to live with like the badger moles so like I thank you for coming in to save the day no, that's, justin no, that's, 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 that's good reasoning that's a good reason like no no i, I take i I retract that statement, but I do still think Aang is a better character. Yeah, I would say... No, and I, I obviously agree with it. Yeah, Aang clearly, I feel like, had more character development. <laughs> and then also, Raj, that wasn't your argument. You just said that she makes funny jokes. So I, I also said the other things in the chat. No, you didn't! I, I said she had her own bending! She make funny that's, jokes and move That on. doesn't make her a better character, though. Okay. You can say that that Aang can take away bending, so that's just automatically better than what Toph does. Because if Toph tries to mess with Aang, Aang can just be like, "Yeah, the Avatar. He has plot I have armor. The, not only do I have the Avatar state, but I can take away the thing that makes you super special." Oh wait, back all the fucking way up. You <laughs> just said <laughs> I was personally offended. that. But... No, now what's offending me is how stupid this argument is getting. Because you're saying that, oh, well, she invented bending. Okay, so Jacob comes with the point that, well, he can take away her bending, so that argument's invalid. And you're like, well, it's because he's the Avatar. Yeah, that's the show! That's the point! What are you judging these characters on now? It doesn't make sense. I just think she's a better character, that's all. Or it can also yeah. blood bend, so if you... Why like, are we talking about bending their characters? That's what because I've been that's saying. That's that, exactly. But this is part Justin, of Justin. That's why I'm mad. Because <laughs> this this fun. argument doesn't make sense. We're ranking characters, not like power scaling them. We don't care if they can beat each other in a fight. We're saying are they good characters or not? That's the entire point of the show. Like Sokka. <laughs> Sokka is in high in everybody's tier list, but Sokka gets folded by most characters. He not can't the point. That's I'm not trying. I'm not saying that's, that's the point. I'm trying to say that that's part of like that's why it doesn't matter what their powers are. Yeah, it's how good of a character okay. they are. I'm saying that to dispute what Raj is saying, not to use that as a point to why. Okay. Certain- okay. No one. When I made my list first, no one established the fact we we're ranking on characters. I was ranking on other things too. No, what? Like what? Name another thing you were ranking on. Power and all that stuff. Why? Name, an, what's up, name another. No thing. one character, said anything. It's a character tier list. Name another thing. Name I. Another thing. Name another thing besides I, powers. 
I dare you. No. I dare you, Raj. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. On a I, positive this, note, this is a one v four. I'm losing this, no matter what. You must concede. But anyways, on a positive note, <laughs> I already <laughs> given up. There's nothing I can say. I'm gonna on lose. On a positive note. On a positive note, we all had the right take of having Iroh at one because yes. he is yeah. one of the greatest characters in, in just everything that was ever created. Like kids in show, all like, fiction. In, yeah. Yes. Like imagine learning so much and just like. Just I don't understand. Just admiring a character from a kid show, like like such a well written character. Like he, it's it's actually unreal. Like he's a firebender from like this fire nation where firebenders are supposed to be like closed minded, arrogant, and he's just the exact opposite. When he's brought up in an environment where he should be that arrogant, live up to that stereotype, he's the exact opposite. He's the most open minded like person ever. He changes Zuko, who is like the epitome of that arrogant stereotype and for him to change such like a rigid mentality in, in that character just shows how much of a good character he is. And just, Oh man, his, his voice well, acting, everything about him. Is yeah. Just- I think the, the really cool part about Iroh is that he essentially shows Zuko throughout the entire show of like what he could be. Because if you remember that he was, uh, Iroh's like nickname was like the dragon of the West. Because he was that imperialist, like, he was the general, like, leading the charge against Bossing Say, like, burning it to the ground. Like, he was what Zuko was. But then, after he lost his son, he really kind of, like, understood, like, the losses and, like, the horrors of war. And, like, he really kind of, like, that's the change that started to happen for him. And I think that's what he was really trying to push on to Zuko, is that it's, like... I don't want you to have to go through the same thing. I don't want you to have to go through this the hard way. I want to be able to teach you how to be a good person and not go down the path that I already went down, which I think is just like, and he's just obviously doing this through being like one of the greatest mentor figures like ever, like just across the board. He's like always saying the right things, like teaching Zuko, like how to be kind, how to be caring and all that. And, but then he's also like able to really like show like tough love sometimes, like, especially when it comes to like lightning bending, I guess like that would be the term for it where it's like, he's like, yeah, do not do this. Like, I know how to do this. You should not have no, you should not be trying to do this at all. You're going to kill yourself. Like that, I think is just like, he was able to walk that line. And then right at the end where like, maybe for a split second, you think that like, oh, maybe Iroh doesn't like Zuko, whatever. And he, like that scene where they hug, I remember I was so young, I started bawling. Oh my God, that hit me so hard in the feels. And he says, he said something about like, he's not concerned with, he, he says he was like afraid. Oh, he was like, I was never like afraid that you like, you didn't like love me, but I was afraid that you had lost your way. Yeah. Like, he was never concerned about like, the things that Zuko said to him, he was concerned about like just Zuko being on the right path. It wasn't like a, oh, you, I'm mad at you. You should be sorry that you called me like a fat pig or whatnot. But it was a, uh, I was, I thought that you would have t- like you would not have been who you are truly inside. Oh, and that's like the cool part. And Z- what's interesting about Iroh is Iroh like. But you don't see Iroh change. Iroh does not change in our story. He changes in like totality from the Dragon of the West to like who he is now. But you never see it. He is like he is a stagnant character, which is there's only a few of them in Avatar in general. A lot of them do change. I mean, if you look at the list, let's see yeah. here. 
that's actually Aang, a really good point. Ang changes. Zuko obviously changes. Toph changes. Katara. Katara stays pretty similar, but Katara still has changed. Sokka. Appa doesn't change. Um, <laughs> okay. Ignore um, the animals and pets. They don't yeah. change. But like besides like Azula and whatnot, a lot of characters tra- change in our main wa- our main line. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just for a Having... character in Iroh to just have no development at all. Yeah. Just like be so iconic and so like just like Andre said, just so like impactful and like the lessons yes. he gives. There's very few characters in fiction that you can write to be stagnant characters that end up like it like works because mm-hmm. like another example of that would be Captain America in especially in Marvel like in, in the MCU I guess especially because I think in comics I don't know if it's exactly the same but the entire point of his character in all of the movies that he's in is that he doesn't change like he is so pure of heart and he is like the ideal version of like what like he's a hero like that's exactly what he is. He doesn't change for the world around him. He stays true to his beliefs of like the true, like I guess, I guess you could say American way, even though not it really isn't because then he goes against the government. Like it's really just like his true beliefs of like the like ideals and that he holds. And he's like, no, I'm not gonna move. I'm not gonna like bend on any of this. Like, and when it comes to the Sokovia Accords, like he doesn't bend again, and it's. Like, it's very, very hard to write a character that, like, never changes in their beliefs to and make it, like, believable and, like, actually have you like the character. But, like, when you do it right, you get characters like Steve Rogers, you get characters like Uncle Iroh, who are just, like, all-time, like, great, great characters. Yeah, and just even, like, you saying that, it's, like, still even great. Like, Steve Rogers, he doesn't change, but it gets him in the trouble. Like, mm-hmm. he, like th- him not changing is ultimately, like, what could have made Thanos be able to snap and ultimately cost Tony Stark his life because the Avengers weren't together. They weren't communicating during that time because of what he would not, he would not change. Exactly. I- Iroh doesn't get into trouble for it at all. He's completely... Stagnant. Nothing like he just stays on his own path the entire time, and oh. it it is it's so cool to see. I mean, Avatar is truly truly, and we'll maybe talk about it in another podcast episode. But like, just you don't appreciate it when you're young. Like I I never like watched the whole thing in its entirety when I was young, but I've seen epi- a lot of like of, like of the individual episodes and whatnot, and you really just want to see like cool bending happen, and you don't care about like the side plots around but even just like because i get there's characters they had the whole episode where they're crossing these two tribes across a ravine oh my gosh and the two and it's such an annoying episode i don't like the episode at all but nothing cool in that episode happens at all but like the lesson of just like ang pretty much just lies about this entire thing about why the tribes hate each other and he's like actually no like you guys are best friends like it just was a mis it was like a misunderstanding with a game like the ball just got, like, you're just trying to score on each other. You really are, like, best friends. And all the tribes were, like, cool. And it's just, like, Aang managing conflict as, like, eventually this Avatar figure that was going to rule over the land. And it's, like, it always kind of builds to the whole, like, overarching arc of, like, Avatar, like, the big themes towards the end. And I don't, it's just, like, you don't appreciate that in the moment. Because, again, if there wasn't, like, some cool Avatar stuff happening in the episodes when I was young, I was like, man, this stinks. And I still like <laughs> seeing the cool Avatar stuff, but, like, seeing the little things they do. And, I mean, I, the best episode are the tales of um, 
Bossy say. Tales of Tales of Bossy say is the best episode of Avatar, and there's not anything cool that happens in it. There's no cool bending. There's no like hype. It's very mellow and just shows character, character driven, just episode. character driven episode, and just Iroh like playing the guitar for a baby stop, who's stop, crying. Stop! And, stop! Stop! Stop it! I'm gonna cry right yeah. now. And just, I, there, I, sorry. No, it's just, it just what Avatar is able to do for both like kids and an adult population. Like I gen, genuinely believe that that their avatar doesn't have an age requirement on it. Like it's not a kid's show. Not at all. Yeah. Like I um don't know many shows that can have a filler episode be considered like the best episode in the entire yeah. series. Exactly. Because I mean it was just fantastic that um like I mean Uncle Iroh's turn like when he had his time in that episode. Like that was just absolutely beautiful. And the fact that it um what it wasn't it dedicated to the act Yeah the voice yeah, actor. That, and he passed away. Like, that's even more powerful. And then going back to that episode you referenced, Justin. My goodness, that was a te- like I hated that episode. It was so yeah. annoying to watch, but at the same time, it was well done because it's almost as if you're thinking you're with like Aang right there, and you're like, "Wow, I'm going through this right now. I see how ridiculous this like you know <laughs> exactly this like, beef yes. is." And you're like you're stuck in the middle of like you know some uh what canyon, and you're just going through it, and then. You're like, wow, Katara and Sokka are even getting into this. How ridiculous could this possibly be? And even though you hate it, you just have to recognize, wow, it's really well done. And I yes. like, I would say, um, in terms of, I mean, I would say it got, Avatar got progressively better. I would say it goes like the seasons go three, two, one. One's probably the worst. Um, well, I mean, it is. Um, and then, uh, okay, aside from. Tales to say, but if you have anything to say about that, I will be personally offended <laughs> by that. I wasn't personally offended by you having top. I okay. just heavily disagreed. If you have anything to say about that, you're no, I do not. Okay, I do not. Good decision. Um, okay. But uh, aside from Tales of Bossing, say what is um, your favorite episode? Was my fair, but one that's up there for sure is the dragon dance one with Ang and Zook. Uh, no, it's called it's, it's called that the fire so it's called the firebending masters. Uh, the sun yeah. warrior the sun warriors are on my tier list. Is a I yeah. think it is one of the coolest things. Like just seeing like Zuko and Ang Walkins is very like from like what firebending is really about, and to see them like they really take it in like do the dragon dance, and I'm like <laughs> they're like doing it, and I'm like yeah you got this like they're in sync right now. Visuals in that episode too. Quality. Yeah. Um. And then my one of my favorite episodes, and it just like it's because it's filler, but it's so funny. Is the Ember Island players when they see when they when they see the it's right before Sozin's comment, so it's like right before the big finale, like the bit everything, like the whole invasion, everything. Yeah. And it is a stupid play, and it like shows all of our characters like insecurities, how like ridiculous some of the ploy is like from the outs like from an outside perspective and how the fire nation portrays them and you see like toph is super confident she's like hell yeah they think i'm like this like big buff guy like this is great and then ang is so self-conscious about like everything he him doing being perceived as wrong and like i don't know it just it's such a funny episode and it has like themes in it still and it's like it's a great recap going into like 
the end of it. So I really love Ember Island players. Yeah, that's that's a really it's really funny how like Jacob, you were saying earlier how like yeah, the filler episode could be one of like the best episodes of the show. That's literally another filler slash recap episode, and it's still considered one of like the best episodes in the show. It's oh, wow. like it's so funny like how well they're able to write. It's like, yeah, we're so good that we can literally make filler episodes some of the best ones in the show if we put in a little bit of effort. Like it's it's so cool. Um I think for me, though, I did love the... I don't know what the name of it was, but it was where uh, Sokka gets his sword. Uh, and he Sokka's gets, like, all the training. Sword. Yes. yes. Oh, I Because I absolutely loved everything about that. Because it was, like, finally... Because, like, Sokka always, like... He gets kind of written off a little bit, like, at the beginning. And obviously, like, that's, yeah. like, the point. He, like, goes through that character arc. Um, <laughs> it's not really that big of a revelation. But he's, like, he really gets to, like, show. It's, like, okay, he gets to learn something. He gets to, like, contribute and, like, have this, like, very good skill that he's able to work with. And, like, I, like, that, the Swordmaster is so cool. Like, his voice actor is incredible. And I do love, right at the end, like, the reveal, I guess, spoilers for Avatar, if you somehow haven't watched the show yet. Um <laughs> He he knows exactly who all of them are, and he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like he's like obviously there's like Fire Nation like Swordmaster, and he's like, yeah, I don't care. And then it it sets up the reveal of the White Lotus for later. Yeah. It's like it, there's just like those little details like right at the end. It's like, oh, there's something else going on here. Like, and it was just such a good way to like cap off the episode. Like, oh, I loved it. Yeah, Swordmaster might be besides Iroh, I think he's my favorite White Lotus member. Like, he's yeah. awesome. He's so cool. Um, I think. Master Paku from uh, <laughs> um, Paku from the Water Tribe, awesome. <laughs> yeah, he totally isn't so unbelievably misogynistic. Oh my god, he did. He changed a little bit. He's so badass, but he does change because he, he loves Katara. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I guess that's true. That's after yeah. Katara, like. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Because yeah. he starts off like that, and then it's like, oh wait, because doesn't he like? Start getting with her grandma or something. No, he was yeah. with their grandma. Was yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got okay. separated with the war. The yes. Yeah. Okay. That, now I remember that. Right, so we don't know. Like, do you think he really changed in terms of like being? No, he's still sexist. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. Um, for me, and no, he's. I don't like him. He's. He's kind of <laughs> just. He's just not a very. Yeah. No. Okay, I would very say. Cool. Um. He's a good bender and all, but nah. Um, my two that come to mind for me are Zuko alone when it's the Western style. Oh, oh yeah. yes, I forgot yes. about Zuko alone. Yes, I've been looking stuff. I've been um, looking up some episodes, and I remember that one was an absolute banger. And then the other one was uh, the Boiling Rock Part Two when um, May and Ty Lee betray Azula, and they yeah. escape Boiling Rock with. It's- uh, that, yeah, that. that that episode changes. That sets in Everything. motion the downfall of Azula. Oh. Like that episode right there is oh, the good. ultimate before. Like, betr- it's uh, my Melee's like ultimate form of loyalty to Zuko, and it is like it. Yeah, it's just a bunch of betrayal and loyalty to certain people, and it just sets Azula that off. Was a- Hard, that was a hard line. I love Zuko more than I fear you. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. That's yeah. a tough line. It's cold. And he's, 
And you see, like, it's why she's, like, on my top of my S tier is because you, like, see, like, her undying loyalty to Zuko. And she yeah. does not care. It's, like, she doesn't show much emotion. And right there, she takes a stand. And she's, like, no, like, I won't allow this. Um, my, one of my top episodes, no, obviously a lot of people, The Beach is a great episode. That's a yeah. solid one. Um, that was and good. I, obviously, I think ever, the first episode is also just fantastic in terms of, like, what it it's provides. It's a great like, opener. Yeah. Yeah, I also love um. Uh, where is it? It's in book three. Um, when they go, when they go and describe how Roku and the Fire Lord were friends oh. and how Roku was betrayed, okay. the way they go through, because essentially Aang is like riding on the back of uh, Roku's dragon, and yep. they go through and like detail it all. And it's, I love, I'm a sucker for flashbacks. Like, put a flashback in like a TV show or anything. I'm like, I'm here for it. And, like, I loved everything about the episode of just hearing, like, this backstory and just seeing it. And Roku's super badass. Yeah. He's, He's awesome. the second most badass Avatar, I would say. Well, out oh, of the last ones. Kiyoshi is... No, Kiyoshi is, wants all this book. Kiyoshi is the most badass. No, it's, 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 not, it's not a bad take. Force energy. It's, yeah, that's, it's not a bad take. I just like yeah. Roku's character better because obviously we know him better. But Kiyoshi is awesome for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um... I mean, the finale was also like just—it's really good. Um, the solid finale, it's yeah, like a very good finale. Uh, it just the, like shows Aang what, what he's about. Yeah, there we go. But I the like, most disappointing thing about it all is that how bad the movie was. Ah, uh, don't even get me that. started. We, we, we that doesn't exist. That. Like I hate Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. doesn't exist. I hate M Night Shyamalan because of that. Won't watch <laughs> anything else he ever will put out. No, I do not like that guy. He. Probably droid is fantastic. Like, probably show. what encapsulates like that movie's like entire essence is the fact that he just straight up mispronounces Aang's name and yeah. just like it just pretends like that's fine. It's like it's not even like oh it's a cultural thing. No, they literally say it in the show. Yeah, it's in English. There's like you're also speaking English. There's no translation error. It's just pronounced Ang, and you say Ung, and that's a different name. Well, and you just also, don't care. Also, 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 one There's thing... There's several is, things I have to say about this. Okay, okay. Jesus Christ, you're kicking into all of this just, right now. There's just one thing regarding Ang, and it's that he's one of the most talkative characters, and he's just silent in the movie. <laughs> yes. But, um, several things about this, about oh Aang's characters. One, they only... Um, got like chose him to be Aang because he was good at martial arts. But it didn't have anything to do with his acting ability. Number two, they claimed that they wanted him to be like to like say Ong because it's more accurate to the culture. But at the same time, if it's gonna be more accurate to the culture, Aang shouldn't be a white guy. He just should. Bingo. <laughs> also, exactly. if you look at the wa- Southern Water Tribe in the um, in that oh my God, you have yeah. Katara and Sokka, the only two they are Native there. American. Everybody That's else point. is supposed to be like, how is it that they're the two? Like they're all they're white there. Yeah. Everybody else is um, like ethnically ambiguous. Yeah, and then it's the Fire Nation is. Yeah. yeah, and then the Fire Nation is an is ethnically ambiguous, and they're the like they're the bad guys. The good guys are white. Um, I'm not trying to say I hate white people. It's just the show, like this. They did such a bad job. Like even the beginning of the movie, Katara's water bending drops water on Sokka. Sokka pops up, 
is completely and totally dry. Just like, horrible it, editing. It, just crazy. Yeah. I can't remember. This I, can, movie, I choose not to remember it. It is so bad. Like this is oh. one of the worst movies I've ever seen that like attempted to be good. Also, additionally, just like bending is supposed to be something that like comes from like it's part of your being and part of who you are. Like if you're water, you really flow with the water. Air is like very like again, very loose, flowy. Oh, like rock, you take a hard stand. Everything they do is super hard. Like for fire bending, like they need a source for their fire in the movie. Like that's the so, like, dumbest they, thing. They, like they li- like they, I understand like why that makes sense. Like all matters conserved, whatever. But like firebending, like it completely like gets rid of the threat of the firebenders because if you just like they literally have Not to like the fire. take the fire from the campfire. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And then there's a scene where like these these earthbenders, like, four of them are working to move one rock. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. in, in, to move one rock. And like <laughs> I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be like this needs to be like the like I get that it's gonna be different than the anime. Like that's uh, Avatar's an anime, like I'm, like it is. Um, yeah, I know there's debate about that, but it is um, in my head. And then, so like I understand if you want to be like you don't need to be exactly accurate to the anime. Like you don't need to have like Toph being able to like make the steps go like sur- super flat so people fall down. But like, God, like it, like one rock. The thing is, they like, make it harder. Like they make everything like harder yes. on themselves for no reason. It's like you can just make fire happen. Like. There's already dragons and like past lives in the show. It's not gonna be realistic. Like, no. and, if top- you're, and if you're not sorry, I cut you off. If like if you're not gonna, if it's too hard to do with the budget, then don't make the movie or get a bigger budget or animate it. Do not make a live action movie where it's cringy to see your characters actually use. They, they don't do much fighting in the entire movie because they don't they can't do it because of like what the rules they set out to or their budget they have but that's part of avatar is the, the element exists as part of nature and as part of like the balance of the world like it shouldn't be hard to do it well part of the thing also about that one scene where they were trying to earthbend the thing is in that episode there were supposed to be a bunch of earthbenders on a metal platform in the middle of the ocean yes yep yes <laughs> Oh my god. In the, so that is none of them can metal bend like Toph can. So eventually. Eventually. And, and she hadn't even been introduced yet. But that well, that was the point of the episode. In this, in their adaptation, they put the earthbenders and trapped them in a place that has earth right beneath their feet. There's no walls either. Yeah. Like it's There's, just like a camp. Why in the world aren't they fighting back? Like why, they why don't they walk away? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, so bad. I mean, uh, my goodness. And also what happens is somebody just like literally like puts out like just puts some water on the source fire. What happens when it rains? Yeah. Literally. I mean, that was I, I really just absolutely despise that movie. M. Night Shyamalan is up there with like the Matt Nagy's of the world, like Luca de Beppo. <laughs> In a Beppo, like he, <laughs> he's up there with like the um, this is a this is this shows you how much I hate him. The uh, national championship Clemson pick play, he's Dude, up there. Our, our first line of merch is literally going to be like, surely just, he would have Jacob, Jacob's, Jacob's hit list, and it's going to be like, <laughs> that's like, so good. Clemson's <laughs> pick play, red line across, 
M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Craig Light Cross. Puka de Beppo. Puka de Beppo. And M. Night, no, I mean, honestly, M. Night Shyamalan ought to be ashamed of what he did. He is. I mean, it's bad, yeah. Um, I think we are all a little bit excited to see what the new animated live action uh, project will be coming out of for the. Um, for Avatar, I know there's been some issues with it in production and like oh, getting a screenwriter right. and whatnot, but it should be coming out eventually someday, which will be really interesting to see. With the, like the new, hopefully they keep it pretty accurate and kind of just treat it as like a updated animating, and maybe they can do some really cool um, work with just like using the bending in different type of ways and more creative and like visual type of stuff. I Yo. will say the base cr- cr- critique I do have about the final episode, Susan's comment is. When Aang goes into the Avatar state, there's nothing really cool that happens. He just kind of like crushes through rocks in his big ball of elements. He just kind That's of like fair. runs through them all. He's like, I will come get you. <laughs> he just um, turns into like, oh, now I'm at my final form. I beat everything. It's like, oh, yes. well, that's it. The season two finale was also just amazing. Season, oh, season two finale. Crossroads of oh, Destiny. Yeah. When, when Aang gets shot in the back it is soul crushing that's just like the oh yeah oh man and you see katara you see katara on the back of ang just so desperate oh for like for him to come back and it also is like shows like at the end how much zuko has grown because he you know you're thinking okay he's on the right track here he's on the right track here then he decides to side with azula over um uncle iroh uncle iroh then gets captured um, at the end of that episode, and then Aang gets, you know, possibly killed. Like, they could have very well had just ended the series right there. It would have sucked, yeah. but <laughs> would have kind of made sense, because he just got absolutely bodied in Avatar st- State. He didn't um, get, like, it wasn't even got bodied, like, he couldn't, he couldn't let go, like, his biggest problem in the show is he couldn't let go of his attachments, and that's why he couldn't enter the Avatar State. So... Like he he has chakra locked because he wouldn't give up his he wouldn't give up Katara so it's just like but he he's so he's, he's, a, he's able to let go in in the third season so we can then, literally talk about the show for hours at this point this is absurd I I know it I would like I always I always forget about it when I talk about my favorite shows I've ever watched just because it's like I don't know it's animated it always kind of feels like in the more of the back of my head but. Avatar and Breaking Bad are definitely like the two best shows I've ever seen, and it it could very well be Avatar. I just like the depth at the with the show and how you can just go into the psychology and just like the way it is done is just. And we're barely even talking about season one here. We're talking about season two and three. The cycle. Yeah, we might, we might have to. Like, just, I think we've got to at this point. We've been talking about this for so long, man. Season. That's one of the yeah. best seasons of any show ever. The Daredevil Arrow extra cycle will totally be in the coming, you know, weeks. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Years. But, yeah, years. But uh, this extra cycle is in dire need. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's definitely going to come out way sooner than our Daredevil Arrow analysis because that's oh, never oh. happening. Not, not sooner than our review on Secrets of Dumbledore, which is coming out oh on April 16th. April 16th. Oh, we're going on opening day. Actually, before opening day, technically, and it's going to be so hype. Um, before we head out and leave for the day, I want to know what type of bender is everyone on this pod? Ooh. Fire. I'd probably be a water bender, honestly. 
Water. I would probably say water or air. One or the other. I'm an earthbender. Yeah, just you yeah, are an earthbender. You yeah, feel I like that. Yeah. We you got the like diversity. We got the diversity. Oh, is there a quiz? What? Is there a quiz? Oh yeah, can you just like there's what quiz, yeah. are you? Um yeah. Um now the one so the one there's not really as good as like like the, the Harry Potter house question. Well, I don't know. The one this one really goes into like how you handle conflict. Not like your your personality, but your personality in conflict. So like okay. air is obviously like you're more like willing to just like brush it off, like get away, like deflect, like not really worry about it. The reason I'm an earthbender is I'm very like and even like how you like how, how you fight or how you like you deal with conflict, I'm very like I will like de- play a lot of defense, but like once I reach a certain point, it is like uh, hell no, like then I'll then I'll stay in strong. So um I'll send you guys the quiz and then um maybe I'll put it in our linked uh link tree in our bio for those who also <laughs> want to take the take the quiz. Um, there we go. But I think with that, we will lead off this episode. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed Andres and I being ESPN analysts for a solid 40 minutes. And then hopefully people enjoyed a little wrap-up discussion of Avatar. Um, We appreciate you guys listening. And we will see you either on a future extra cycle or another episode of the Washed Athlete Podcast. Peace, everybody. Peace out. Racing is hard.